Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Altman. I know that's a surprise to many of you that I am the host of the Same Side Selling Podcast. I'm joined this week by a repeat guest, but it's a special occasion this time. So my guest is Ramon Segal, and Ramon has been on sharing his story in the past about how he's used Same Side Selling in his business. And today, we're having him on as a newly published author in a book called The Floundering Founder. So, Ramon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ian. It is a genuine pleasure to be back here for a third time. Am I am I the first third timer, or have you have? Oh, don't break my heart and say you've had other third and fourth timers. Listen, I don't like to talk about it because it never comes across well. It's uh, you know I don't want people to think that you know I'm I'm speaking to. But there are so, there are some people who have in fact been on uh, multiple times, but okay. they weren't coming on the third time to talk about their new book. So you would okay. be the first Thank person you. to come on who started <laughs> as kind of somebody who we were profiling as, here's a, here's a case study on how someone used same-side selling. And in fairness, you've, you've, you've achieved so much success that now you've got a book that talks about how other people can learn and, and key lessons in growing their business. So I think it's, um, you, you're in a niche no matter how you look at it. <laughs> That's fine. And the your book has played a significant role in, in my journey and the success that I've been able to achieve. Well, you know what? That's, that's nice of you to say. So here's where I want to start our conversation, which is you've obviously had some good success. You've, you've really, you've grown your agency quite well. You've grown multiple businesses, in fact, on multiple continents. So your agency operates in the UK where you are right now as well as you've got offices in uh, in the Boston area. And I don't mm -hmm. even know where else, but I know those two locations. And so my question for you is, what are the things that you didn't know when you were first starting your businesses or early on your businesses that you wish you knew back then, but obviously you didn't? There are so many, and it's almost like, where do I, where do I start? But I think broadly speaking, and I think you most of your listeners would have heard the concept of you know working on your business and not in your business but i think for many of us we often end up running businesses because we're good at something right so for my i was good at marketing right you know you know for yourself you're good at sales and you end up running a business based on your technical ability and then that business starts growing and you have to learn to do all the other crap that comes with growing a business whilst actually doing the doing and certainly for myself and for many other people in my shoes what i found is it can become a very consuming journey the business like your business will eat every hour minute and second of your day and you have to make time to work on making sure the business is going in the right direction targeting the right people you know going to market in the right way but also investing in yourself as well you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, I, I have benefited and my business has benefited and my team have benefited from me taking time to invest in my own personal development. And I think owner-managed businesses and owners of small businesses are typically terrible at that is what my observation is. And if they actually spent a bit of time working on themselves, their business would probably benefit from it. You know, that's certainly true. And I think that one of the things that often happens is 
I'll hear from people and especially entrepreneurs when they're starting a business or when they're ramping up, they're so focused on doing the work for the current project. And a lot of times it's people in service related businesses or even people on the product side, and they're focused on that next big sale and they get that sale and they execute it. And then they turn around and say, oh my God, I have no new business coming in. Now what do I do? And so it's kind of, the, they run in these peaks and valleys in their business mm -hmm. because they're not looking at it as, how do I grow a sustainable business that has recurring revenue and can really sustain growth? They think to your point, okay, here's the thing I'm good at. So I need to convince someone to pay me to do that. Now I'm going to go do it. Okay, now that I've done it, now i got to find someone new who is going to pay me to do it. And they end up on that on that wheel, just mm -hmm. running and running and running and not really going anywhere. At the end of the year, they say, I, I really didn't make the kind of money I was hoping to make. And <laughs> I think they can also fall into the trap of just chasing any business that's going to generate revenue and help them pay the bills. Because, of course, that's the most demanding requirement on any business leader is – I got to make sure I can support the people I've got and we can make money mm -hmm. in the business. So what are some of the things that you learned along those lines? And you can also touch on things that are in the book. Cause I think you've got, sure. you know, specific lessons for people on their business as well as for their personal development. Yeah. I mean, if, I mean, what you said there is, is so true. And I think one of the, I suppose, original learnings I got from hearing you speak and then reading same site selling and actually just, understanding the process which which was recognizing that not every customer is, is a good customer and, and learning to say no and i know i think on previous episodes we, we discussed this in detail but i think once you've been running your business for a few years you should start building a picture of what a good buyer is and what a bad buyer is and, and actually in the book one of the first tasks if you like uh, you know i ask the reader to do is something called a client matrix where you effectively plot your um the level of maintenance of a client versus the level of profit you make. So, you know, you want, you know, low maintenance, high profit clients in, in the whole, as opposed to, you know, <laughs> the flip side is, you know, <laughs> low profit, high maintenance clients that will, you know, absolutely destroy <laughs> you. And what, what I think happens is you start, if you are acquiring clients and you are working on clients, sometimes you need to take a step back to look at, okay, well, which are the best ones for our business and which are adding the most value and actually we're delivering the work and they're not complaining as much. And taking that time to do that analysis is very worthwhile because it then enables you to build a picture of, okay, well, who should be our clients in the future? And, and interestingly enough, you know, when we did this in 2015 or 16, it made me realize that, ah, 80% of our kind of good business comes from the pharmaceutical sector. And actually, you know, it was a pivot moment of niching down in our business where we just decided to focus on the, you know, the, the supply chain of drug development and manufacturing. And it, I would never have come to that realization without doing that analysis of kind of what makes a, a good buyer. And, and, you know, what goes with that is just making sure your marketing messages and materials reflect that as well. You know, I, I often laugh at like, um, I'll see. You know, someone pitching themselves is um or say hey we're a design specialist for I don't know, the fintech sector and you go on their website and it's like hey we designed for any company in the world and like so if you're a fintech buyer you're like wait a minute these like where's where's the where's the meaningful information for, for me so i think those things are really important for people to just you know it's almost like yeah i talk about in the book like 
it's like being on a hike, right? And sometimes you just need, need to stop sometimes and work out what direction you're going and which path to take. And, you know, what I've tried to do really on in the book is to kind of give people a few tools and techniques to allow them to do that in a really simple way. Like I am not, you know, this is not an MBA, such an academic framework. This is, hey guys, here's the stuff I did. It's really simple. And, you know, it is like, using a client matrix, building a really basic persona of your client. Like these are basics to you and I, but to a lot of people, they just don't make the time to do this. And it will, certainly in my case and, and other people that massively benefits them with the, you know, it's because, you know, to your point around forcing the fit, which has one of the best things I think I've, I've ever heard in a business book is knowing who you market to and who's a good client makes it really easy to spot the bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> and so here's, here's, here's my question for you, because I think that it, some people will hear this and think, yeah, but you know what? I, 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 I need to have all these different areas of business that I go after because, you know, we, we get business from all these different sources. So without getting into necessarily the specific dollar sure. amounts, what's been the growth and trajectory of the growth of the business since you shifted that focus and said, okay, we're only going to take on these types of clients. We're not going to take these other ones that we could get. We're not going to do this stuff that a bunch of other people can do. We're going to double down on this industry or these industries and only do that. What's been the difference in terms of profitability, um, you know, the, the sales process and, yeah. and the sales cycle, the growth of the business, things like that, because I think that's something that'll be insightful for people to hear about. I'm just having a quick look. We are, since we did it, we're 12 times the size. Okay. Only so, 12, only 12 times, <laughs> only 12 times. Yeah. And I, I can't do the maths of the profitability. It's yeah. just it's too complicated for my small head, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a lot more. And so and, and that's not just my business. I've seen this work really, really well for other people who've got similar businesses and predominantly service-based businesses that are in multi-sectors. They just keep going after business in multiple sectors and all have multiple service lines and just become a, a very broad generalist. Um, and I think, I also think buyers are savvier now where buyers are looking for more specific expertise whether you know you know for example if you are i don't let's say you're in the construction sector you want to work with a partner that has some experience of working with your type so they understand the language of your sector they understand the you know so they're not just buying your technical expertise you know i call it you know that domain knowledge of combination of sector expertise and technical expertise um it also makes the selling pro process a lot more consultative to your kind of way of doing things and that your conversion rate will go up because you, and you will can charge a higher price. I mean, you it might be one of the analogies you've given me in the past, but you know, is that kind of classic, you've got a bad knee, right? Do you want to see a family physician or do you want to see a knee specialist? And I bet you'd pay twice for the knee specialist. It's, you know, it's not more complicated than that. in like in it's, in it's uh, infancy, if you like, on it's, sure. it's very kind of basic level. But I think the thing that most people struggle with is the courage to do it. And that's the hard bit. You know, I remember saying when we did this, Ian, I remember thinking, okay, 50% of our business is not where we are focusing. And all of those clients dwindled down over time, but 
But then, you know, I, I, I remember is, you and I having a discussion about this very thing where I said, <laughs> look, it, it, here's one of the critical things. And I know it's a hard thing to do, but you got to pick who you can serve the best and focus exactly just on it, them. Yeah. And I remember you saying, yeah, but what if what if a good portion, you didn't even say half, you said, what if a good portion of our business isn't in that niche? So so there's that there's that concern of, look, I've got this amount of business, but I know that those other people aren't necessarily going to value what we do because we're going to seem like we're a commodity. In fact, I've got an upcoming episode, one of, one of our clients in the construction industry. Um, it's funny that you mentioned construction. And they're a good-sized construction company. In fact, before, before we started working with them, they were a $100 million company. So before they implemented anything related to, to same-side selling, they were a $100 million business. And the challenge was, as their CEO explains, they were a $100 million business for three consecutive years. And he said, we've got to do something different. I spoke at an event similar to the event where you and I had met. And he said, okay, we want to implement the same-side selling stuff. And that was about five or six years ago now. And this last year, they closed out at roughly $650 million. Wow. And, and the funny part is that part of what they did was they said, you know, we serve these industries really well. We're going to double down on those industries. And the funny part is that people in those industries, they don't want to work with anybody else because everyone else says, well, we're, we're a general contractor. Mm. which they really embrace the term general. And they say, oh, we're a general contractor. We can build anything. And these guys come in and, for example, they'll work in the biotech sector and they have a whole division that just does biotech. And part of the way they present their company is they present it and say, look, we know these certain requirements in biotech. For example, you're never going to see one of our people walking through one of your clean rooms accidentally and now you've got to start over in, in reestablishing that clean room. We know that we can't just order a part for this type of system on a week's notice. We know that there's a four-month lead time on that. And if people mm -hmm. didn't know that, then your project would be going along fine. And all of a sudden, there's a four-month delay that you can do nothing about. And so all of a sudden, they went from $100 million to $650 million in a short time frame. And in those stories, the thing that I love is the people where it was – we were 100, we were 100, or 100, now we're 650. Or there's mm -hmm. a, another client, we, we profile a case study on same side selling who they were 15 million, 16 million, 17 million. They've been in same side selling. And then three years later, they were 109 million. So it's, you know, that story of when your business growing 12 fold is always music to my ears because here's what I will tell you it's not just about same side selling. It's, who are the business leaders who actually learn these lessons and apply them? Absolutely. Because there are many more businesses where they have actually read the book or listened to the podcast than there are people who have grown tenfold, twelvefold, et cetera. And the reason why is because not everyone implements these ideas. Not everyone mm -hmm. internalizes it the way that you have. So that, that notion of realizing who your ideal clients are and just focusing on them it's uncomfortable for a lot of businesses because you have sure. to, in essence, agree that I'm going to bypass certain business. The first business that I started, when I look back, we did some work in the federal government because we were in the Washington, D.C. area. We said, well, you have to do some stuff in the federal government when you're there. When I look back historically, it was a waste of time. We mm -hmm. made almost no margin on it. They were the biggest pain in the neck for us to deal with. 
and it wasn't where we delivered the highest value. And I had no clue. Now I look back at that business, I think, why did we spend time for less than 10% of our business doing this stuff that took 30% of our time to get 10% of the business didn't make sense. How does your team measure up against others when it comes to being on the same side with your clients or prospects? Find out at samesideselling.com slash scorecard to take the same side selling assessment. And if you want to learn more about the Same Side Selling Academy, visit samesideselling.com. So what, yeah. are some, what are some of the other things, the big lessons? Because you, you titled the book, The Floundering Founder. So I, I want to I get a sense from you. Why did you come up with that name for the book? Just to make it difficult for you to say, Ian, to be honest with you. No, no. Um, um, I think it, the name was, I mean, I'm a fan of alliteration generally, but I think it hopefully to evoke that sense of sometimes you feel like you're suffocating and it's hard to keep your head above water and you go in as a founder when you're kind of running the business and you're growing and everything's coming in, you know, it's kind of, you're wearing 50 hats and that kind of classic founder trying to do everything situation. And that's the, that's the point at which the majority of the book or the kind of the primary aim of the book is aimed at people who are going through that particular challenge where they are just feeling like overwhelmed and they're not sure where they're going. And, um, and it's not that they're not making money or growing a business. It's not about that because what I found in my experience is growth is great, but it can also be very overwhelming and suffocating. And actually it can add more pressure because you're like, oh, we've done 50% growth this year. We'll have to do 60% next year. And it kind of never ends in that sense. And so I think the name of the book was very much to evoke that kind of sense of, okay, this is, I'm struggling and I need kind of like, I need some direction. I need, I need help. And, you know, and as I mentioned before, you know, the first, kind of 12 lessons of the 24 lessons or, or learnings of they're all based on my mistakes, right? They're based on the things that I did that I wish I did. You know, you asked that question at the start, you know, you know, what do you wish you'd done? Like the entire book is based on things that I learned on the journey and hopefully it will help shortcut and give people kind of quicker access to, you know, whether it's tools or I kind of thought it's the 20% of stuff that I wish I'd known that has kind of made the 80% of the impact that's the kind of way i've done it and you know in the second half of the book is all about that kind of self-investment in yourself as well and you know learning is you know reading your book was life-changing genuinely life-changing for me and and i implemented the stuff as well and i've since read tons of books and i got into the habit of reading books like every day i will read in like you know a bit of a book in 10 15 pages and over a year that kind of compound effect is i will read 20 books a year 20 books a year for a creative person is a lot when you, when your mind is full of ideas oh, yeah. anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's, you know, I have friends, you know, one of my friends, he, I think he reads like three books a week or something like that. It's crazy how much he reads. Yeah. And, but he's like, he's not trying to implement everything. He's just, a, he just wants to you know, sure. absorb the knowledge. Whereas I'm one of these that I will read a book and I'll be like, okay, I want to put this and I'm going to try this tomorrow in my business. And yeah. I tried to write the book in a way that was, you know, really jargon-free, non-academic, non-corporate. It's like normal words people will understand. And because actually, just because we've run a business doesn't mean we know all the all the corporate spiel, right, of the sure. investment world and all that kind of stuff. So and the majority of us don't. 
so Ramon, let me let me ask let me ask you this because we talked about the the growth side of it that I think is going to be familiar for everybody, and that notion of narrowing your niche and and knowing which clients are the right clients and that sort of stuff, which I think is incredibly valuable. What what's the biggest lesson you learned in terms of the personal development side, and you know, focus on on yourself, your family, things like that. That I think a lot of people can easily overlook. I know that when in, in growing my prior businesses, you know, I grew businesses to a good size. I sold them. The 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 company that acquired them asked me to run the parent company. We were about hundred million dollars in value at the time. We grew it to two billion dollars. When I look wow. back, I don't see the growth. I see all the stuff I missed in my family's life that I regret missing. And so sure. it's kind of a weird thing. What about for you? What are the what are the big lessons? And you can touch on the things that are in the book that people will sure. learn as well. So I think just to my previous point, I think building a learning habit every day is is essential for for people. And it doesn't have to be a heavy lift. So I think I give the example in the book, like my own learning, learning time every day is I read 10 pages or for 10 minutes, let's say in the morning, I listen to one useful podcast a day. So I'll tune into one of your podcasts while I'm driving, while I'm commuting, while I'm running, whatever. I often listen to two or three just because even if I'm helping my wife around the kitchen or whatever, I'll have my headphones in and I'll just be absorbing content. And often I'll just make notes on, on Evernote or whatever to just like, sure. oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to add that. And then I read it. I often read um, a, like Seth Godin's blog. He has like a short blog yeah. a day. And Brilliant. for a minute of your time, it is the best investment of time you'll ever read just reading his blog. And oh, and there are a few other blogs that I follow and I might read another more. So like you take that in and it's an active investment time, or like, like active learning of 11, 12 minutes and then passive learning in 10 minutes, right? Think of how, you know, for your listeners, think of how much time you burn over running meetings, talking on the phone too long, scrolling your social media, watching Netflix. Like you will be burning so much time in your day that if you can't make time for 11 minutes of active learning a day and some passive learning through a podcast or an audio book, like you've got bigger problems going on in your, <laughs> your life. So I think that learning habit piece is, is key, like one of the, fundamental things another kind of thing that i found very useful and i talk about is is working out what makes you happy and i you know i kind of coined the phrase you know it's like my happiness hack and so i've journaled every day for the last six years and this isn't a dear diary thing i use a technique called a five minute journal so you know and i think i learned it from tim ferris and on one of his shows and you know so every day i write you write you know what's going to make today great what am i grateful for and at the end of the day what made today great, right? What was, what made, and, and actually if you, if today, if you, if you could have made today better, what, what would it, what would have you done differently? And actually that latter part is where the real gold is, right? Because over, and I reflect back every month. So every month I'll read and I'll see the same stuff every month. And what I found really useful, and I think I have a list in the book of the types of things that make me happy. And it's not the stuff you think it's going to be, right? It is, getting my car cleaned for $10 and seeing my car clean yeah. makes me happy, right? <laughs> so, you know, having a beer with a friend on a Friday makes me happy. Having a movie with my family and we sit and, you know, smush together on the sofa 
you know, makes me, makes me happy. Like, and I, and the reason I know this now is because it's come up hundreds of times over six years sure. and, and what, like, and obviously these are specific to me and my life. And, you know, every single one of the listeners and yourself will have a different thing. Like, and it can be so, you said, tell about that, it's going to be so, like getting a shirt that fits me really well, makes me happy. That's like, funny. it's crazy. And, so, and this and stuff is, this... it can, it Sorry, can be on. things that almost never happen. Like for you, it yeah. could be Newcastle winning, right? So things like that. <laughs> wow, so brutal. <laughs> but, listen, so, listen, you know, I'm a I'm a Tottenham Spurs fan. We have the same problem right now. So. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. <laughs> um, and you know, it's funny, you know, like you mentioned Newcastle. You know, one thing I my assumption would have been going to the game to watch my team play makes me happy. Actually, it wasn't. The thing that made me happy is we were is the camaraderie with my friends and going for a beer afterwards. Yeah. That's actually the really good stuff. But if you don't write stuff down and you don't reflect, you don't see it. You kind of, it's your blind spot that you don't see. And and for me, I think none of that costs very much money. So, you know, you have this, you know, especially when you're, you know, like fortunate like me and, you, and yourself, where you're successful in your career and you start earning money and you think, okay, I'm going to buy stuff and buying stuff's going to make me happy. It yeah. actually doesn't, you know, you might get, you know, you've obviously... I think you remember telling me you had a, a Tesla at some point. You're telling me all like I think you were just putting the air conditioning on from the UK back in the US to freak your wife out, which was which was funny. But don't get me wrong, like buying a nice car and living in a nice house and all that kind of stuff is like clearly it's part of the journey. But for me, you build up a real picture of those kind of little moments in life that make you. I love a sunrise, right? Like it is the. I mean, it sounds so soft, but. You know, I was running in London this morning. I actually went running near Buckingham Palace in London this morning. And it was amazing. And then the sun was coming up and there's this beautiful red sky. I was just running being like, like, maybe I'm just getting old, right? But what a gift. What a beautiful free sure. gift. Man, it's absolute magic. And like, I, and that will make my journey. That will make my journal tonight. Like what make what made today great? I got to see the sunrise near Buckingham Palace. That's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and... So yeah, those are the, the kinds of things. It, it's interesting you say those things because for me, it's interesting. Like if, if we take a vacation with, with our family, it's all about the experience and the memory. It's not about the room. It's not about this and that. You know, we've got one of our, one of our kids has got some dietary issues. He's got some allergies. And so we'll go to a place and we'll say, oh, was it amazing? I said, the most amazing part is that that resort handles his allergies perfectly so we don't have to worry about anything. Every place we go, we know they're going to take care of it. And it's, yes, the food's great. The service is great. But it's that attention to detail that makes it for a great experience. Or when one of my kids does something that I can tell, I remember having a battle with them when they were young about this. And now they've learned that lesson. And now they're paying it forward. And it's like, oh, this is fantastic. It's, it just, is, it's yeah. just a great thing. So. Ramon, let me um, let me have you share with people what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing and stay in touch with you. Well, I actually believe it or not, I have a romancegal.com website, and everyone's going to misspell that, which is fine. So hopefully, it's in Ian's they're, show they're, notes. They're but not, um, they're not going to misspell it because we're going to have it. We're going to have it on the screen right now. <laughs> but it's R A M A N S E H G A L. I'm going to I'm going to spell it again. Because I've known Ramon for what eight years, and I still often mess up the G and the H in his last name. So it's R A M A N S E H G A L. 
Amazon.com, yeah. right? That, that, that's it. Yeah. And for people who are interested in buying book, obviously it's on Amazon and all that kind of stuff. But if you, you can get um, the first few chapters for free on, on the website as well. You just download it. And, you know, genuinely my reason for doing the book was just to try and share some of the learnings and lessons that I think will help others that are in that position that I want with, or actually, you know, for seasoned people that are running businesses or even professional sales teams or anything like that, I think it will be a timely reminder of how to make time to invest in yourself. And, yep. you know, what one, one thing I was going to mention, if, and I'm more conscious of it than ever, of you know, lessons, you know, just keeping your eyes open in life. And, you know, like, you know, I'm in London at the minute. And when I was running this morning, like the amount of people that walk around with their glued to their phones right yeah. and when i've met you ian if i had not been paying attention if i had not come and say hello to you afterwards i we would never have built this relationship over you know that time period and and i'm you know it, it's a really actually i mean it's obviously the most obvious example i've got because i can see your face but you know had my head above, you know above my phone i was interested in the content and actually went and went and came and i think i ended up giving you a lift to the train station oh, or yeah, something absolutely. yeah that's we, we, yeah you give, you give me a lift you give me a I lived at the train station, and then next time I was in Newcastle, I messaged you, and we got together. We got together at the train station. Yeah, was at the train station. Yeah, we had a coffee at the train station. So that's right. I was flying to Vegas that day, and uh, yeah, and yeah. So I think that's the other thing for people is like it's very easy for busy people to be distracted by emails and devices and all that kind of stuff. And you know, some of the best connections and opportunities that I've had in my career and life have come from just keep my eyes open. Little things when you're in a cab, ask the cabbie where the best place to eat is right yeah like it's um, what we used to do you know in the olden days is actually exactly. still is valuable now so yeah i'd encourage people but i just wanted to one thing before and we're probably coming to an end soon but i just wanted to say thank you to you ian you know i'm um you know off air before you know i like you've played a genuinely significant role in in my success in terms of the, the you know the content you've put into the world and actually that's that we've taken on board and that we train our team to do now. And, um, you know, you know, to your point before, if you implement some of this stuff, you really feel the benefit of it. And so I'm, I'm yeah, very grateful for that and for being on your show again and, you know, being a friend, right? Like that's, it's sure. awesome that we've got this relationship. Absolutely. That's, that's very nice of you to say, let me, let me do a quick recap of some key points that I think people can use and apply. And then I'll give you opportunity for rebuttal to cover anything that I missed. So first, make sure that from a business side, there is value in narrowing your niche and focusing on the right fit for clients so you're not chasing everything. And it's a, it's a scary thing for some people to do, but you're almost always rewarded when you do that. Make sure that you're aligning your marketing message with that focus. So the example you gave of you can't say that you're focused on a certain niche and then people go to your website and it seems generic that's going to be inconsistent. It doesn't seem believable. And some of those were keys to you growing 12 fold over, over the years, which is remarkable. Um, build that culture or discipline of continuous learning. And that notion, I love how you, how you talk about active versus passive learning so that it's not just all something you have to be actively involved in. I do the same thing. I listen to podcasts when I'm at the gym or when I'm in the car. And of course my wife gets in the car. She's like, can we put on some music? And of course, <laughs> I just want to listen to someone's podcast. And then that idea of reflection on what what are the things that make you happy and keeping your eyes open, I think are all lessons that people can learn. And of course, make sure you pick up a copy of The Floundering Founder. 
from Ramon Segal. And I guarantee there are things that you're going to take away that you can learn. So what did I miss? You did good, man. I mean, this is this is not your first time, right? This is not your first rodeo. I suppose, you know, some of the things we talked about today are obviously covered in the book in a lot more detail. And, you know, I do encourage people that are in that situation I'm going through feeling overwhelmed or just want to kind of get some sense of direction and stop and take stock like that's who people are in you know this book is aimed at and i genuinely hope you can pick up a copy and it helps you on your journey and you know reach out and let me know if it is and and that type of thing and thanks ian for having me on for a, for a third time of, of course always a pleasure love love watching your trajectory and um and how you continue to rise to new levels and i'm sure people are going to get tremendous value from the floundering founder. Ramon Segal, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Ian.